0: Welcome back to Dev Dive, episode 23. As always, I'm your host, Nighthawk. I'm here today with Luke Zilan. Luke is the founder of Next Up Esports, a recreation youth esports company whose vision it is to be the little league of the esports world. Welcome to the show, Luke. I re- really appreciate you coming on.
1: Yeah, thanks for the invite. I appreciate you having me.
0: Um, I hope I pronounced your name correctly because you told me how to, and I'm pretty sure I, I got it right. Um, yeah, no, you nailed it.
1: You nailed awesome.
0: it. Uh Yeah, So so... Uh, before we get into things, like what is uh, next up esports? What is uh, your vision for this this company?
1: Yeah, I think you you know you gave the the quick elevator pitch there. There's um, a, I think a key part of the um, you know ecosystem that's missing in gaming and and esports really. I think the competitive side that does exist in a huge way in traditional sports. So when I was growing up. I played Little League Baseball, I played AYSO Soccer. And, you know, I started those leagues when I was like six, seven, eight, like really young. But it wasn't because I was going to be a pro soccer, pro baseball player. It was just to socialize and meet other kids and, you know, learn how to work with others, you know, hard work, discipline, those kinds of things. And um, when I was playing games, and I think for most people, there's still not that experience where you have some kind of structured format like that, but there's just, you know, a real need for kids for space to learn about competition. And so I'm modeling this youth league very much after little league baseball and AYSO soccer to be this, you know, really great fun and safe experience for kids and their families to enjoy gaming from the time, you know, they're, they're first able to play these games.
0: Yeah. And when, when I first met Luke, uh, I actually got introduced to him by Gene, our last guest on the podcast. Um, I thought that was an awesome vision. I thought this was like, It literally just uh, came to me like, why has not, why is this not like taken off before? Where is, where is this, like, why hasn't this happened yet? So uh, I was really excited to get him on the show and we're going to talk about it a lot today, I imagine. Um, But before we get into the nitty gritty of what's going on, why don't we talk about what you did for next up Esports? Why don't we talk about your career from college life until now?
1: Yeah. Awesome. So I graduated, I played football in college. So that was a huge part of my background. I draw from those experiences a lot, um, all through my career and definitely now today. Um, but I was like, I don't know what I I had no idea what I wanted to do. So I traveled for a little bit and then I decided, well, the only thing I can really stand to think about for 10 plus hours a day are sports. So I got to figure out a way to get into the sports business. And I was lucky enough reach out to my extended network and found some context in the agency world Um, so I worked at a company called Wasserman Media Group they were and still are really big um, sports marketing brand consulting talent representation agency they actually have a good esports division now too I worked with them on on a couple clients they represent um, like Cloud9's uh, partner uh, AT&T so we did some work with them Um, really so there's some awesome folks anyways was there then i got to another agency and you know what seemed like a really unfortunate uh turn of events the parent company of the agency was called relativity sports filed for chapter 11 bankruptcy about a month or two after i started so i'm like this young kid fresh out of college like what am i i just joined a company that's going bankrupt um but luckily i was working for some folks there who are still like mentors to me and was able to leave with them. And they founded a group called catalyst sports and media. And the focus was basketball player representation and esports. And actually relativity was a minority investor in major league gaming. So they had some experience doing that. Um, but that's where I really like got involved. I played Warcraft three. I played world of Warcraft, Starcraft two when I was growing up, but like very casual level this was a much more like entrenched experience for me and i was working on a bunch of different projects but two of the of the big ones were you know we represented chipotle and dr pepper and as they were getting into esports and decided hey these are like you should partner with tsm we think this is the best esports team out there um and made that introduction it all worked out um From there, I went to LAFC, Los Angeles Football Club, which at the time was the newest expansion team in the MLS. And they were building a brand new $350 million in the heart of downtown LA. So it was an awesome experience for me to move from like the brand representation side to now the sales side. I was doing sponsorship sales at a brand new team. So there's a ton of opportunity. I mean, like a ton of categories and at a new venue. Which most people don't get the opportunity to work at an expansion team or to work with a new venue in their you know career in sports. I got to do both in the same year. It was an incredible learning experience. So I was there for about a year and reached out to um, an old colleague from Catalyst who was now at TSM, and they were building out their sales team. And I now had the sales experience. I knew in plenty about esports and the professional scene. And it just, you know, all of the experience lined up. Now, TSM was also getting into the venue business as well and building their, the TSM Performance Center. It was very early days. But all of my experience and my relationships now from Catalyst, from the agency world, from LAFC, like, was a perfect fit for me at TSM. I was really lucky to be able to work with Andy and the team over there. Um, and it was, it was continued, as I like you know, worked more with Andy and their team. And they're like a really experienced group of people in eSports. I I had that same question that you just mentioned, Ben, which was why isn't there like a little league? Like we're, everyone's focused on the pro side right now. And there's a ton of investment and a ton of development happening here. But how are these kids getting into games? All right? Like I started playing um, Call of Duty Modern Warfare when it came out like a year, year and a half ago. And you'd be shocked by some of the things that people are saying, or maybe you wouldn't be shocked, I don't know. But there are a lot of really inappropriate things that people are saying on the voice comms. And to me, if I'm a 13-year-old or if I'm a parent of a 13-year-old, those aren't things I want my children to be hearing, right? And it's also not a great way to learn competition. There's no coaching, there's no practices, you don't have anything like you're looking forward to. You can play for 10 hours a day and have a really great time, I do. But it's not um, a structured environment. And so that's when I was like, why isn't it out there? Or research? It's not there. It's not there. I'm like, okay, like, I'm the person to do this. I have the experience playing myself. I played at a high level in traditional sports. I know about gaming. I can figure this out. And so that's what I've been doing. Uh, I left TSM end of August, I believe.
0: End of August this year. Yeah. Oh wow. Okay. So this is this is a very so very huge, fresh still. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, I love I love hearing about people who can get into this sort of field not from a traditional sense. Like you didn't start out as like a professional gamer and, and transitioned out of it. You started out in sports, which is mm-hmm. um, almost, it's very similar, but it's almost also like very polarizing from esports because there, there's this divide that's been slowly being healed uh, where, where people in traditional sports were like, Oh, video yeah. games, that's not like a sport. Uh, and people in video games were like, man, I hate sports. Uh, but now that that's slowly been, uh, uh, the divide has been slowly uh closing and we see a lot more of these uh, sports companies who want to be interested yeah. in in esports like golden, Gar- golden guardians was a a huge change um for an echo fox of course obviously when a yeah. professional basketball team said hey we want an esports team i thought that was amazing um so
1: it's funny, when I was at Catalyst, we helped Golden Guardians in their franchising application for LCS. So we got to know the folks at, at um, uh, the Warriors really closely. And they're all a very innovative group in traditional sports. There's not a lot like them. One of the reasons why they've been successful over the past year since the new ownership got involved, right? Um and they're willing to take those risks and they realize the value that esports can provide to what they're doing with the chase center, with the warriors, all their other business lines.
0: Yeah. Um, it, it like I said, it, it's just great to hear that it's not being like this closed off, uh, relationship where, where they're just afraid to take the step and take the plunge. Um, and then like you yeah. said, where has, where has this little league thing been? Because, uh, at a young age, somebody has been gaming like me has been gaming for 10, 20 years now. Um, it's, it's exactly what you say. Uh, a parent doesn't want to look at their kid and see what they're being exposed to in, in both in game and in the gaming world. Um, and yeah. some people out there might think like, Oh, well I had to deal with that. So everyone has to deal with that. It's just what gaming is. But I feel like that's just a very defeatist sort of attitude where if i had to deal with this terrible terrible environment everyone should uh it's just part of gaming so i think i think learning from that um that's that's been sort of the attitude we've seen in in lots of things even sports uh if you look back 50 100 years ago the rules for sports in terms of their, how they were played were very different than they are now there was a lot less safety there was yeah. a lot less uh uh diversity and and openness to who can play and and how like leagues get formed so for
1: sure i think one of like a similar example to that is you know like in you have these movies right where like the old school coach doesn't want to give the players water when they're running and doing their conditioning it's like that's such a ridiculous you know thing to do and now we know through science that the more water you give the players, the better <laughs> they'll perform. It doesn't build toughness. Yeah, um, The same could be said, like, yeah, you don't need to go listening or contributing to these, you know, awful, this negativity through the communication you're doing with other players. Like, that, that's not how it has to be, for sure. I think one of the things that we've tried to do is, you know... Um, this is There's a huge issue in the gaming world, I, I would say more than just gaming, but there's not a ton of women represented in esports and gaming companies. Mm-hmm. At the executive level, as pro players, you know, kind of everywhere in between. We believe that there's several reasons for that, one of which we think we can actually help is there's a huge social stigma around girls playing games. From a really young age, games are for guys. They're ridiculed when they play. Again, if you've been on voice comms and you hear a girl's voice, oftentimes people will jump in and make fun of them or harass them. So, we think there's two ways to kind of approach that. One, we need to encourage and promote to young girls that gaming is a, it can be a really safe place, and if it's a passion of yours, it's something that you should absolutely chase and enjoy your time doing. Right. Second, we need to teach young boys that that's not okay. That kind of behavior is not acceptable, and Gaming is like one of the, uh, I can be an ultimate equalizer between the sexes. It doesn't matter, like unlike football, where your physical development and maturity has direct correlation or causation, in fact, into how good you are at Mm -hmm. the game. Gaming and esports has nothing to do with that. So it really doesn't matter if you're big or tall or fast or slow, right? Um, you can be really great at these games if you just put your mind to it and you practice and, and you're excited about it. So we want to do that. We want to make, help make this change, bridge this gap by always having co-ed teams. Girls and boys will always be playing together. And as a part of like the training process that we put our coaches through, we want to make sure that they're encouraging both boys and girls to be having a good time and that if there's any negativity that comes up related to um you know girls playing that that's shut down quickly swiftly so that's never a problem
0: yeah this part of the the approach didn't even touch my mind before when i was thinking about this and writing out our show notes but that is such a great cornerstone to this this approach because like you said it's very hard to teach people after you hit maybe like 15, 20, you're not going to be able to, to educate people to the same level as you can when, when they're young. So if you can
1: exactly, yeah,
0: when, when a kid is young, that's when they pick up on a lot of their good or bad habits. So learning at a young age that like, Hey, you don't have to be a jerk to women in, in voice chat. Yeah. That can help quite a bit. Um, it's good. To and one of the cool things that right. we've
1: actually seen so far is that we only have a few girls participating, There have been no issues so far, though. And maybe it's because these kids are so young. They haven't learned that negative behavior, that bad behavior yet. Mm -hmm. That's a good sign, too. And so now it's about how do we continue to promote the behavior that they're already exhibiting.
0: I honestly think we might see scientific studies in the future based on programs like yours, which will look at behavior of of people over the past five years, whether or not they've been subjected to this sort of environment. and I think that there will be a noticeable difference for people who were socialized at a young age versus people who were sort of uh, left out to the wolves, so to speak, uh, in terms of what's going yeah. on right now in games. Um, that's really yeah. interesting. <laughs> I didn't want to get up too far into it next up until the next section, but I'm glad we touched on that because I think that was, that was a really interesting point of why this is such a, a, good, um, a good approach.
1: Yeah, look, I think it's a really important side. And I think that, uh, looking at the show notes, we might talk about it again. But I really believe that there's not enough organizations in this industry who are um, founded or even have any aspect of social good to what they're doing. And there's some that are doing a really great job. But from my experience in traditional sports, like when LAFC was founded, the soccer club, from the very beginning, there was a foundation. And they were giving back to the Los Angeles community. So I always thought like, okay, as soon as I have my own business, that has to be a part of it from the very beginning. Intrinsically, our organization is giving back to kids, right? Um, But I think we need to go out of our way. And maybe we'll talk about the scholarship program that we're launching as well. But it has to be, you know, there has to be some kind of social good component. What people don't realize is that also turns into financial um, success for the organization as well. because what what i learned from sponsorships was most organizations now most brands want to see the social good and they want to be a part of it and so they're sponsorable assets they're money-making opportunities for you now
0: yeah absolutely and and people will spend companies will spend millions of dollars on on good press and good pr when you can literally be a force for like good in the esports world and show that you are making a massive difference in at to to gamers at a young age like I think in in 5 to 10 years we'll see professional esports players who have been through something like what you're doing like Next Up Esports and they'll be able to attribute their success to something like that and that will just literally for sure be like a, a bell to these these sponsorship companies will be like okay we really need to get in on something like this like now <laughs> because yep. this is this is a great opportunity for everybody. Uh okay. Yeah. Taking a step back trying to get more into uh your life before next up um, what are some skills that you would hone, or you suggest somebody else should hone if they wanted to get into a job like like some of the jobs that you had?
1: So it depends, like what you want to do, for sure. Um, I think though the trend that we're what we're seeing now, and it's pretty intuitive though, is in esports you don't need to be an expert in the games. You don't need to be, uh, have grown up, per se, in the esports industry, you know? In fact, most of the organizations are now hiring people with other expertise in other unique areas of business and then figure out how to adapt those expertise to esports. So if you wanted to be, like, if you wanted to be in sponsorship sales, I would find a company that was the best in sponsorship sales or best in advertising partnerships and learn how they do it. And it doesn't even have to be, it doesn't have to be esports, it doesn't have to be traditional sports. We see a lot of people with digital media backgrounds. You need to understand the process. And then if p- gaming is a passion of yours and you love esports, you'll be able to figure out how to adapt it. Right. But you need to f- understand who is best uh, what are the best practices and then adapt those to esports. Um And I think that really goes for just about anything. You're going to start to see more and more organizations in esports who are looking for outside skill sets. And you don't need to be like super hard or I've been in esports my whole career or even like try and start, right? There are some, like if you want to like be a player manager, yes, like knowing esports is going to be super critical to your job. So there are certain like, you know, it's a balance depending on the job function for sure.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
1: yeah, the other thing I would say is, and this is, uh, I'm sure any career panel that you listen to or anyone speaking about how to get a job in any industry is going to say this. And that's like building your network and building relationships. Um, so I guess I'll just try and take it one step further and say that build the network and relationships before you need to access them. Because I get plenty of people reaching out to me on LinkedIn or Twitter and saying, hey, I I want a job or I want an internship. Like great, but like I don't know who you are, so why am I any more likely to give you this role versus the other person who just you know sent me an email? Um, so reach out and develop those relationships before you actually need to you know flip the switch and turn them on. Um, something college students are like in a super—they um, have a much more. They're in a more unique position because people want to help college kids most of the time. Mm-hmm. So if I, I said this on the panel the other day, like you should, kids, college kids should just lie and say they're doing a project for school and want to interview really successful people and make up and put on a list, like, "Hey Ben, I'm interviewing you, Joe Rogan, and all these other podcast hosts about what it means to you know start a podcast." When you see that list, you'd be like, "Man, I want I want to join the ranks of like Joe Rogan," you know, like use appeal to that kind of authority and you're going to get like people will write back. People will definitely <laughs> take those calls. Interview them, get to know them. Don't ask for a job. Then when you need something in 6, 8, 12 months, you already have an established relationship with them. So, I, I don't that. think people understand. Yeah, I don't think people understand actually what networking <laughs> is and how yeah. to effectively manage a network. It's not easy though.
0: That that is that is amazing advice. It it reminds me a lot of of sort of like a social engineering uh uh like viewpoint where you can uh take advantage of the of of these relationships that you have built with these people, and it's not all about just like, hey, I know this person, so therefore I'm the best person for this role. It's it's establishing a, yeah. a good relationship with somebody, and then using that to prove that you're the best person for the role, not just um saying that you are. You don't and even I, have
1: to be the best person for the role. Well, you have you to. You just be, have to have the relationship. You have to be. You have to be a, a good
0: person for the role. <laughs>
1: a good person not the best though
0: okay um well yeah i I guess that's that's a given considering how many people i like to think about this a lot there's a lot of people in the world and there's a lot of people looking for jobs um and whenever i see a resume or a a cover letter and it says like hey tell us why you're the best person for this position i'm like well i guess i might as well not apply because i'm obviously not the best person (laughs) for this position Mm -hmm. considering there's 20 other million people out there looking for jobs like this um that's that's interesting that you point that out. I I really like that. Um so networking and then uh what was the first point? It was something about
1: um how would I summarize like f- develop an expertise in or a skill set in something that is not as general as esports. So if you want to be in sales, learn how to go like go find a place to go sell. If you want to be in marketing, you could work at a marketing agency, you could work at I think what like some of these direct to consumer brands are doing and how they're building content using digital media, um, those could be good places to learn. Here's another thing: this is much more difficult because oftentimes, so you need to, especially if you're young, if you're in college, you need to find people who will take the time to teach you Mm -hmm. and believe in you and help you grow. It's not so much about being at a really great company. Oftentimes great companies have those people there and that's why they're great companies, but it's not like go work for the biggest best company in the world. But if you don't have someone there who's helping you learn, it doesn't matter that you're the biggest, best company in the world. Right. Um, I I draw that from my own experience because I got to learn from a lot of great people who took the time to help me and i re- i realized how rare that was cuz most people don't most people are out for themselves and they're selfish and just you know want to make their own money but the good ones that i've come across have taken the time to teach me things um and then you realize how to do things a certain way you realize how good organizations are actually run um so i guess the the thing for, you know, anyone listening who's looking for a job, is, yes, you are want to find a good company, but you also want to find good people to be working for. And so you're actually doing meaningful work that will help you learn and grow. Because what you're learning in the first, you know, five years of your, of your career is going to be really critical to the trajectory after that. And
0: yeah. if you're not
1: doing meaningful work, you're not learning good stuff, it's, you're not going to be on a great trajectory.
0: And I'm definitely not the type of person to speak on authority on something like this because I definitely don't have that experience. But I do want to point out that I think um, teaching other people isn't all about just helping them as well. I think you can learn a lot from teaching other people if, if it's something that you right. know what you're doing. Um, I always find that it's you really don't know what you're doing unless you can teach somebody who has no idea what they're doing. Because then you get to learn what it's like from the... Bottom of the panel all the way up to the top, and get those experiences yeah. from from everything else, because for somebody like me who i I get to help a lot of people out with their production with their audio or video um, stuff, a lot of people come to me and they're like, Hey, I'm starting my stream. uh what are some things that mm-hmm. you recommend and I've learned so much helping those people uh, and I've yeah. used that to to go back into my stream and and use a small budget to make things look better than they would. I think that Uh, on a small tangent right now um a a good expertise can help you utilize less money to be more effective than than somebody with a big budget utilizing stuff uh less than optimally um i think you can make a a bad microphone and a bad camera look a lot better than somebody who has no idea what they're doing can make like a thousand dollar camera and a thousand dollar microphone sound um and yep. I can I can think of many examples of, of people who just throw money at a problem and they don't really put in the effort to to get there. And it it doesn't mm-hmm. look bad, but it's not not it's not the best that it could be. um. So, <laughs> yeah, I up,
1: look, I mean, look at tapping into other people's expertise who have done this before is obviously helpful, but problems oftentimes. Even if the other person doesn't say something to you, like you come up with the idea on your own. I have a I have a buddy who um he's a founder as well. He's he runs a data um capturing kind of technology in esports for streaming. It's fascinating. We talk like every other week. And sometimes I'll just like be telling him what I'm doing and I'll have an idea pop up. And like I wouldn't have had that idea had I not been explaining to him what the situation, what the, like the obstacles I'm currently going through at this time. Um and it's just again like me trying to teach him and educate him like here's what's happening in my day to day and i have all these great ideas because of that.
0: Yeah, it's almost it's almost like the old saying where it's like um where somebody wants a sounding board to bounce something off of where it, they're almost like wanting somebody yeah, to Yeah, exactly that. just so they can think through the process in their in their brain uh because it's so much easier to to think through something when you are explaining it to somebody than it is to just be like what is what so what is going on? What is this? Um yeah. That's a, that's a. Yeah, I agree on that for sure. I love I love talking about stuff like this because it's not something that I would ever, uh, just sit down and talk to somebody about. So when I get the chance to to, even if it is tangential, uh, talk to somebody about it on the podcast, I really uh, savor that because it's it's something that I feel like is not something you can just talk, sit down and talk to somebody about. So I appreciate you uh, being that person. This yeah. <laughs> week. All right. You know I, I think.
1: One oh, of the, no, no. Well, I think before we jump really quick, just on, like on the college side, there are a lot of people are just having difficulty getting into the esports industry right now, but it's not because of a, um, a lack of talent or a lack of, of demand for these jobs. There's plenty of people who want to do it. There's just not like a path built out for it. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the things when we were at TSM, we kind of believe that on the, on the sponsorship side and the organization. And when we were working on a deal with Lenovo Legion, who ended up becoming the um, official gaming PC partner, they, they had that same kind of belief. So we designed an internship program to allow students who are interested in, in a career in gaming and esports to um, learn about all of the other jobs that exist at a team and at a, at, a, at a brand that don't have to do with being a pro player or being a streamer. So our two interns, um, they kind of they worked primarily in the sponsorship sales and the activation side of the business, but they also got like a sneak peek into social media, our content merchandising. They worked really closely with the Lenovo Legion team as well, and got to understand like the marketing side of the business, the product development, like how are they. Uh, How are they pricing these products? What components are going into each? So there are so many things that you can do in the esports industry. People just don't know because they're not, you know, um, surface level. They're not on screen. They're not on Twitch, you know, every weekend. So you don't really know about them. Um, So we built this internship program to give students that opportunity to see what else was out there.
0: Yeah, that's awesome that you bring that up. Um, One of the main goals of the show uh, when Larry and I first started it was to sort of bring uh, that surface level element to some of the people who might be more of the like unsung heroes of the game development world. Um, yeah. We've, we've talked to a lot of artists. We've talked to a lot of uh, QA, QA engineers, just people who you won't, like you said, you won't see them on Twitch. You won't see them on Reddit. You won't see them on Twitter, um, but they play such a huge role in building these products and building these, these, these art forms that yep. it, it's amazing how, um. How far the games world has come in terms of servicing these people. Like I feel like to use mm-hmm. Riot as an example because I'm most familiar with them. Um, a lot of the people at Riot who you generally wouldn't hear from, like like Mort Dog, uh, who's the lead designer of TFT, um, you get to experience that type of personality a lot more, and they get to be more of the surface level personality because they are building yeah. that game. Uh, people respect their opinion. People are interested in what they have to say. Uh, whereas i don't think you'd see that in in a lot of other um worlds a lot of other uh, uh ecosystems
1: yeah i hear you i think last little plug i'll give um again kind of merging the, the two conversations we've had so far on allowing like providing resources for people interested in the in the gaming or esports career path um but also like the social good component so a portion of registration fees that come in from participating in our in our next up esports programs the leagues goes towards a scholarship fund so kids who are interested in studying relevant courses in college can get some financial um, assistance to continue to do that and then hopefully get a job in esports afterwards it's you know we're we want to build it out so that it's not just financial assistance it's also education as well Doing the same thing that TSM did with Lenovo Legion, providing opportunities to teach them about all of the other things that they can do. So when I was working with um, with the scholarship administration program, you know, intuitively their their um, expectation was it would be all um, kind of technical roles. I said, no, like we need to branch out. It needs to include journalism. It needs to include art and graphic design and things like that. Uh, because there's a lot more to esports than just building the games and sitting in front of a computer all day.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um yeah, that's very well spoken. I, I really appreciate that that viewpoint. Uh as a great transition to our next uh our next topic, next up esports. Let's talk more about that because I think we talked a little bit about yeah. it at the beginning of the show, but let's dive into to what it is, what its goals are. Uh, why you wanted to be the one to fill this niche? I think we we touched on that, but I'm sure we can we can do yeah, a little, little bit. More.
1: Yeah, so um, in short, the goal is to become the Little League of of esports. Um, little League has millions of participants all over the world, kids who are learning the fundamentals of baseball, but again, more importantly, learning the social skills, character development, life skills that they can take with them outside of outside of baseball. What we will teach our participants that they can take with them outside of the games, mm-hmm. um, one of the major issues for parents right now, along with the inappropriate communication that or or content that kids may be exposed to when playing games online, is that parents just think it's a waste of time, and it's that is definitely not a new uh phenomenon right however i we I believe it's changing I think we're seeing a lot of it changing um probably with the generation who's like having children right now, you know, kids who are just being born, they will grow up in households where their where their mom, dad, you know, cousins, uncles, aunts, like everybody is playing games at some level. So there it's never going to be this as it was for me, where like I had a time limit on how much I could play, you know, and but never had a time limit on how much basketball I could I could go play in the front yard. Right? Like why is there a difference between those two things? Um, and that's just because in the parents' mind, like they played basketball growing up, they played baseball and soccer. So think like, that's what kids do. They don't play video games, that's a waste of time. Um, it's been really cool to see a lot of the parents' reactions to their kids playing in the league. So hundred percent of our participants this year had never played League of Legends before, which I didn't expect at all. Yeah, I, I had no I, I didn't think that was gonna happen, but hundred percent had never played. So it put them all at a really great baseline for their for the competition it's been really cool to see how much they've improved a lot of them want to play outside of the the scheduled practices and and games that we have but the parents love it like i've gotten several email i got two this week of parents reaching out and saying our kids are having so much fun and they love playing with each other and it, they've created we've created a safe space for that to happen so it's no longer um you know they're worried about their gameplay they know that they're getting something positive out of it so that was that's kind of like the high level, like the ultimate, uh, you know, altruistic goal that we've had um, as for like what's coming up in, in the future, we trying to figure out like what other games we can get into. I think um, in traditional sports, it's very much of a league structure. We have this regular season, you have practices and games and then several competitions throughout the week, you know, football is really easy to understand. Practices during the week, game on the weekend. Practices, game, and then playoffs. Not all esports games are built for that structure, though. Right? Like, Counter-Strike is not like that. It's just tournament play. Um, so I'm trying to figure out, like, what's the best way to teach these character development and life skills to kids? Because you do need a structured format for that. But make sure that we're still true to the competitive integrity and format that these games are, you know, kind of best exist in.
0: Yeah, I had a few things I wanted to touch on from that section before we move on because I think you made a lot of great yeah. points there. Uh, one I actually wanted to ask because I don't know if everyone's familiar with Little League. I know we have some international uh, listeners. At what age uh, are most of your participants right now around the age range?
1: Yeah. Um, so we're only in League of Legends right now. League of Legends you have to be 13 and up. Um, it depends on the game though. So that's my process right now is like figuring out what's the best game. I want to like a broadened audience as possible is better for me. It means a you know more potential participants. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of the age ratings restrict some of those things. Yeah, I can't I can't work with you know six year olds playing Call of Duty.
0: Yeah, <laughs> even though a lot of them are playing Call of Duty,
1: <laughs> they know that they are, and they're just clicking that you know I am thirteen or I am sixteen <laughs> button when they're logging in. But we can't you know uh, knowingly create a program like that.
0: Yeah. Um, and another thing I wanted to point on, uh, and I think this is really interesting. You said a lot of the, the, the kids that you're working with have never played league before. And I really, yeah. am, I'm interested to know if you think even five years ago, if that was the case, or if we've shifted away from the Legends sort of being like the entry point to a lot of PC gaming for people, because I think, and of course this is anecdotal, uh, I think five years ago when somebody said that they played games on on PC, it was either League of Legends or, like, CSGO or something very similar
1: to that. League League just seems to be an older game. Mm -hmm. I mean, we knew that from the fans that followed TSM, Um, especially when you compare that to games like Fortnite. Fortnite was much younger. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that also has to do with, if you're playing, you need a relatively strong computer to play league
0: Mm -hmm.
1: um at least competitively right Fortnite and a lot of the console-based games it's much cheaper it's a lower barrier to entry oftentimes people have the consoles to also play dvds or other functions um uh, kind of tangential but um one of the interesting learnings i found is that not everybody has access to uh, a computer that can run league or stable wi-fi connection yeah like there's a real need for that. I think that's what some of the groups like Nerd Street Gamers like um uh Vindix over and what they're doing with Belong Arenas like trying to provide more uh opportunity because a gaming computer, even a console and Wi-Fi, that's it's not, so, um that's been one of the the barriers. I, I think that kids are probably playing games more than than that because it's it's harder to get into, it's it's more expensive to get into league. Um, I don't know how it would be five years ago, though. That's interesting. Yeah, and of I course, will say that. um, I was just going to say, yeah, of course,
0: that's just my experience. So obviously, it's just a, a sample size of one. So it could have just been the same way. Yeah. Uh, five years ago, but I, I was interested to hear your viewpoint.
1: Yeah, I mean, so is it Bud Light that has a partnership with the LCS? In order for alcohol brands to be working with doing those kinds of partnerships or advertising, the audience has to be like 72 or 73.6% above 21 years old. So, really? Now, that's just, yeah, that's just the esports competition side and the mm-hmm. viewership. So, I would assume there's some variation to the actual player base, mm-hmm. but that's pretty old. If, you know, 70 plus percent of the viewers of L C S are over twenty one years old, it's a much smaller market to even get to kids, you know, I'm trying to stay away from like I'm not an official high school league or anything like that. I want to be the step before. Next up will be the step before kids start playing for their high school teams. Um so if you're thirteen to fifteen years old, like that's a really small market to be playing in.
2: Yeah.
1: You know? Um that's why we're trying to branch out, find other games. League has been great. League also provides a lot of super easy to use tools within the game to create practices, to create the games that we do. And so it's been a really smooth process uh, with the lead client uh, as that's concerned in running our our system so far, but again, small market.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Now it's also a small market of like tens of millions of people. I don't need (laughs) to have 50% of the, you know, their monthly active users to be a successful business. I need to have a very small fraction of that, but Right now, I'm still early days, and we're trying to figure out like what's the best game, what's the best experience for kids. How can we teach these lessons best? What game is um, will allow us to do that in a in a really fluid way?
0: Yeah, and I, I like how you touched on the entryway, like the barrier of entry for for a game like League. And I think Riot has really taken notice of that recently with their investment in in Wild Rift and and sort of yep. trying to bring League of Legends to a wider audience on consoles and and uh, mobile gaming. So maybe we'll see yep. that sort of shift back to, to what my viewpoint was five years ago. But like I said, I think I agree with you right now. It's a lot more um, kids these days aren't really playing League at that young age, which is... is...
1: Yeah, it's not the first game you get into. Mm-hmm. I think I think but I do Fortnite think it's... Was,
0: was a massive uh, entry point to PC and gaming in general for the yeah.
1: younger audience. Yep. Kids are still playing a lot of Minecraft. And Absolutely. they won't stop talking about Among Us right now.
0: <laughs> Everyone loves Among Us like right now.
1: I know we had like a kid who was like late to practice. We didn't know where he was, but we saw he was on Discord and he was just playing Among Us. And he finished. <laughs> hey, sorry, I'm late. He was like five minutes late. Not a big deal. That's fine. But kids love Among Us.
0: <laughs> uh, okay, so what is a day in the life of Luke like? Like, what are your daily responsibilities in in this role?
1: Well, I do just about everything, um, which is kind of what I wanted. In fact, so part of the reason more I call it a selfish reason like I wanted to get out of sponsorship sales was because I was doing the same thing every single day and you get good at it like through the repetition but doing cold calling cold emailing and you know working through every step of the sponsorship process it's a long process um, and not always rewarding on a day-to-day level I wanted to think about the organization, like all parts of it. I wanted to understand how merchandising worked and I wanted to do the finances and I wanted to do marketing, like all of the things that go into running a business. I wanted to touch some part of that. So now I do, and it's a lot more work. So I've achieved that goal, but I've also put a a ton more on my plate. Uh, I'm enjoying it for sure, but I wouldn't say there's like one specific day to day it does go in in like cycles because we're very seasonal Mm -hmm. right so as we're getting ready for this first season it was um player acquisition and marketing and like how do we how do we tell people about the league and get them to sign up and pay for it and then as it got started it kind of runs itself which is nice but at the beginning it was okay we got to make sure the kids are in the discord they know where to be. They know what time to be there. The coaches know what to be doing. They know how to, you know, uh, structure the practice, what times, you know, throughout the practice period they're doing certain drills or scrims and so on. Um, are they, you know, setting up for games? So this is our fourth week. It's pretty It's pretty smooth now, which has been great. The coaches that I work with are are really awesome. They know what they're doing. Now it's turning into we're kind of getting – into more of like, uh, planning for the next season. So now I'm doing research on more games. Um, I'm starting to kind of turn on the sponsorship side of the business too, which is Mm -hmm. fun. Cause again, like that, what that became my specialty and I know how to do that well. And now I have like a really, I think I have a really unique proposition for brands working with kids, the scholarship program, you know, it's all about giving back to the community. So I'm excited to be out there talking to brands about that. Um, We did kind of, so along the lines of the uh, accessibility issue, kids not having computers, I developed a great relationship with the team at Lenovo Legion. And they're awesome enough to send me like 10 PCs that I'm going to be able to give out kind of like, you know, not, loan but like let kids borrow for the season so they have a good computer a good monitor that they can use for the league so that's kind of our first i wouldn't call it a sponsorship necessarily but like first partnership with some yeah. really awesome people who again like i know they believe in the vision for what we're trying to do um and and it's also validation for me like i know it works i know like it's not just in my head i'm just thinking these things are, are actually going to happen. Um there's other people on the outside who now do as well, so that's kind of uh, that's what's in the in the very near future. More sponsorship.
0: That's awesome, and I know that they they're pretty happy with that because uh, once a kid gets a, a handle on like a a good gaming PC, uh, it's hard mm-hmm. to go back from that. So that's going to be probably on their Christmas list in the future. They'll be like, "Can I get yeah. a Can I get a gaming PC?" So good return on investment yep. for Lenovo, I'm sure.
1: Um, yeah, yeah. Well, look, I also have access to. So we have the kids. Those the kids are the users. They're the ones who are playing, but they're not the customers. They're not paying for it. That's true. The parents are the customers. <laughs> so I have access to the user and the customer, and what matters to each of those two groups is very different. But there's a ton of overlap. Um, when the kid says, "I want a PC," or like, "Hey, I, like," the parents are seeing the value of the program, and then the kid says, "Hey, I want this PC," and I can provide them direct relationship with with a company that's one of the biggest hardware manufacturers in the world. So it's incredibly reliable and it's cool stuff. It works for both parties.
0: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that's awesome. I definitely,
1: um, if you haven't noticed, I've taken the perspective of developing a sponsorship platform as I'm building out the, the the company, because I know I need to make it really easy for sponsors to get on board.
0: And I don't think that's something that anyone, not anyone not just anyone would think about when they're founding a company. Um, I know a lot of people who have, who have gone through the sort of like startup phases where they, they have a great idea and they want to go through and they want to build it out. And they want to, like you said, they want to be part of every single part of it. Um, And the ideas are often awesome. Like a lot of them are successful, but they don't have that sort of long-term goal vision in terms of like, how do I get people involved in this who are going to help me financially? How do we get these sponsorships in? Um so I love that you're thinking about it from a sustainability aspect from the very beginning obviously because you have that experience coming from from TSM and other other uh other uh, jobs that you were talking about earlier. Um Yeah,
1: yeah, it, look it, on some accounts sponsorship is like 80% of esports orgs revenue. That's huge. Yeah. It's also incre so it can be really valuable but it's also incredibly risky because if mm-hmm. you're not able to monetize through any other means and you're struggling on the sponsorship side. That doesn't uh provide a lot of sustainability <laughs> Where right, your for your income organization come from
0: if you can't get a sponsorship exactly.
1: Yes, right? I mean it's uh so now that isn't my primary form of revenue or Next Up Esports primary form of revenue,
2: mm-hmm. but
1: it's going to be a really important part of it. It's going yeah. to be and I like using the word partnership a little bit more than sponsorship. People know what a sponsorship is and partnership can be a little bit more vague, but it has partnership to me is more of a, of like a two-way street. We're providing not just like as the property, we're providing more than just the, the access to our users, the visibility for your products or brands or services. We're providing the opportunity to enhance the experience for them. Mm Um, Oftentimes, you know, they're providing more than just cash to us. They're providing product. By providing the product, we can get more players to join, right? And we can improve their experience. We can teach these kids real skills. But if we didn't have the computers, we couldn't do that, right? So it's more than you got to think about the compensation for the property more than just cash in my bank account, right? Like, and the brands, I think, are much more okay with that because then it shows a real use case for those products. Not just hey, you're playing League on a on a different PC, but we're just going to show you an ad for Lenovo Legion. That's not as powerful as Lenovo Legion is actually supporting our organization and supporting the kids who want to be playing, allowing them to play. I think that's much more of a a much more powerful um, proposition for a brand than just, we'll put some eyeballs on your on your ad.
0: Yeah, it's not just a logo on a t-shirt. It's not just a, a little thing in the background. To use the little league analogy, it's not just the the uh banner on the outfield. Uh, Correct. Yes. It's more of a uh, We're selling whatever.
1: more than banners here.
0: It's more like the the bat, the baseball bat for the kid or the the ball or the glove or
1: yeah, whatever else. Um, for a kid who doesn't have access to those things.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: You don't need the banner to play baseball.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it it uh yeah, that's awesome. Um, I love these analogies. Analogies help me understand something way better than, than just explaining it. Um,
1: yeah. And I use sports analogies like all the time.
0: <laughs> so to be fully, to be fully transparent, I was not a sports kid growing up. I played a little bit of soccer, um, but that's about okay. it. So if some of these analogies go over my head, don't feel bad. I'm sure somebody out there uh, watching the show is going to get them, but I might not be the best recipient for all of them, but I love them all the same. <laughs>
1: okay well just keep nodding and i'll just pretend yeah, no, like definitely. i, I do it like all yeah mm.
0: uh <laughs> so how do you how do you juggle that many things like what keeps you sane working on literally every aspect of this company
1: you're just kind of like tired all the time i'm not sure i've figured out like the solution to that problem a hundred percent at least um so something I learned at LAFC through through my boss there was um how to set like smaller goals whether it's daily or weekly but also rewarding yourself in some way for achieving those goals that's that's what keeps you sane so he would just call them little wins and during our Wednesday staff meeting we would talk about what are your little wins for the week a little win could be something as as little as i got an email back from the ceo of this company now he said he's not interested don't ever email me again, but <laughs> I got his attention and my email worked and like our process of going through and getting in contact with a person worked. So now we have a relationship. It's those kinds of things that you have to look at and say like, okay, this went really great this week. Let's focus on that. And we know we have work to do in other areas. That's fine. But focusing on the little wins and setting smaller, more manageable goals is um, is really powerful. If I were to go in and say, I want to have a million users in the next five years. Well, that's, that's pretty difficult to achieve. But if I say, okay, this next season, I want to have 250 players. And then after that, I want to have 750. And then, you know, 2,000. And we build up that way. Then getting to a million isn't as crazy as you think. You know, if you're able to increase exponentially and you understand how to get there and how to manage those numbers, it's not as crazy as you think. So those are some of the things I try and think about. I have man, I have tons of like note cards here with just all my notes, to-do lists, ideas. Um that's always been a big part of it too. So currently I'm working on four and I got a couple of post-its running around.
0: Yeah, setting manageable goals is something that I've always heard when people are talking about how to how to be successful, but it's not something that you really think about until you're put into a situation where um you can't really measure the growth like like steadily um to use streaming for an example because i know a lot of people um who watch twitch are interested in streaming if you set your goal where i want to be a, a partner streamer who makes tons of money playing and tons of viewers it's really 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 easy to get burnt out and immediately just be discouraged yeah. because you're not reaching those goals but maybe set yourself small attainable goals that you can get to like reach affiliate uh, reach a small amount of viewers mm-hmm. that you know you can build a relationship with and um not saying that you will get there if you do that, but it's definitely a much better step than just setting a big goal right at the start and not being able to get there because you're discouraged.
1: Yeah, absolutely. If you if your goal is to have, you know, fifty concurrent viewers, well you're gonna be distraught until you hit that number. And that's gonna take you several years. So you're gonna have several years where you're just not feeling great about yourself and not feeling like you're really Um, improving. But if you want to, if you break it down, if you, like we just said, you said, I want to get 10 concurrence and then 25 and then 75 and then 200, you're going to be focused on those smaller goals. And when you hit them, you're going to be excited and happy with yourself. Right. And that's going to actually allow you to continue on and not get burnt out because you're going to, it's not just that steady grind with, you know nothing really to show for it because you haven't achieved this goal that you set for yourself. That's yeah. really difficult. But
0: yeah, I definitely think that that's and it gives you room to experiment too. It gives you room to try new things and and really see what mm-hmm. works for you and see what works for your audience or your your user base, uh, whatever that may be. So don't feel discouraged yep. if you can't make the big goal. Try to make yourself little goals and and work on what gets you there. Um, yeah yeah that's that's one thing so
1: the 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 way part of the way this came up was because when you're doing sponsorships, if you're getting like two or three deals done a year that's you're doing a pretty good job so in order to get two or three deals done, you have to be in you know how many conversations do you need to start? So it's two or three get done, that means you're in contract with five, that means you're in term sheet with 10, and it grows exponentially from there. So then when you realize, okay, I got to get two or three deals done to hit my revenue goal, it's going to take me 150 um, you know, companies to reach out to to hit that. You're like, whoa, that's actually a lot to do to get those two or three. That's why you have to like, celebrate getting rejected from a CEO in an email. You know, like those are the things that will keep you sane, but you're proud of. And so when you do get the one CEO who says, oh, I would love to meet with you and hear about this. Great. You know, that's yeah. the, that's okay. We're one step further. That's for every win. no you're going to, you know, yeah, that's a, that's a medium win. The big the win is when win. The,
0: <laughs> the big win is when they, yeah, yeah when the, they give you the the deal,
1: when the money is in the bank account, not even when they sign the contract, <laughs> the money's got to be in the bank account. <laughs>
0: This sounds like a, uh, from experience, uh, big win.
1: <laughs> I think everyone in the sponsorship business has some of those experiences. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, so that actually is a great segue into this, this topic is like, what is the highlight? What are some of the highlights of what you're doing like right now? What are you, what are you, makes you say like, this is why I do this job.
1: one of the pro- the more recent ones have been the the parents reaching out and saying how excited their kids are because i had never done a program like this i had some experience um when i was at catalyst we were launching training programs for pro players and we worked with clg and we worked with flyquest so we could we knew we could do it at that level um that was also like 3 or 4 years ago for me so this was a leap and all showing that like my ideas, like what I thought this program could be and having them actually come true, I think was really satisfying and and seeing that kids are actually benefiting from it was awesome. Um, I think the scholarship program is going to be really exciting as well, because again, there's, there's a huge gap to fill in helping kids get into this industry, you know? So we talked about in, um, when i was in college if you wanted to work in finance or consulting there's a very clear path that and recruiters would come to the school and you would talk to you know older um kids maybe who had graduated and you figure out how to get these internship programs and it was like really not i wouldn't say it was easy but like the 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 path was very defined and in esports it just doesn't exist so it's been, it's been fun to go down that path and, and figure out how to create a program that, again, I believe will be beneficial to, to students who want to pursue this as a career. I never thought I was going to be in esports when I was in college or even shortly afterwards. Um, but I realized that this is a, this is a problem. And there's, a, again, a ton of talent out there that just doesn't have the ability to get in. Uh, into this industry and find the job, so excited about um, you know being able to give back in that way too.
0: Yeah, that's definitely that's that's going to be an awesome part of this um, because I think scholarships are something that's very easy for somebody who doesn't really understand what esports is. I think that's a really easy way to look at this and be like, oh yeah, this is a great thing because it's getting people involved who might not previously be able to, because they can make that relation from traditional sports into esports. Um, if they might not yep. be able to before, then uh, so yeah. So on the flip side of like, what are the, some of the highlights? This is something that uh, a lot of people. Um, I, I like talking about this because not a lot of people really open up about this. Uh, what are some of the things that you struggle with with your job? Like what what is hard about doing this?
1: Yeah, well, the time management is definitely difficult because there's you know there's a lot to do. Um, you have to figure out what is the highest priority at that point. I think I'm also I've also felt I mean the whole time I've been doing this, I'm uh I can't get out in front of any of the work I'm doing. I, I realize right now I need to do something that, you know, I need to have ready right now. Uh I wish I would have realized those things a month ago. I could have prepared and thought through it a little bit more. It actually took the time to execute the task. I'm getting a little bit better. I've already seen some improvements because I'm kind of going into the second season. So I know what the process, or I knew what my process was the first time. Now I can make the changes to make it a little bit better. So um, it's still a little bit difficult.
2: Um,
1: I also, th- there's, no, um, there's no blueprint for what you do and i i would assume that's pretty similar for most like founders or entrepreneurs if you're creating something new it's be, you know no one's done it before so you don't have a path to follow um and you don't know when you're going to achieve the success that you want or desire um here's a great gaming analogy you know if you're playing league you know how many minions you need to kill to level up and how much gold you're going to need to buy a certain item and what that will mean for your success and your skill level, right? We don't have that. Like I could be doing something. I could be spending the last two months like building something and it's completely wrong. No one's going to use it. I'm going in the wrong direction. And then I've just wasted all that time. Um, and so it's kind of frustrating when I, I like to look at the world and say like, what are the things I need to do when I was playing football I knew I needed to run sprints and lift weights and how I knew how many, literally, how many sprints I should run. And I would go do those and then I could see the results. And it's just, that's not there. I think that's probably part of the fun part for a lot of people, um, knowing that like you're creating something new and no one's ever done this before and setting up systems to figure out if you're spending your time in the right places or not.
0: Yeah. And then you know that you can be sort of this source of information for maybe somebody in the future, sort of going back to what we were talking about earlier, mentoring younger people in the field. Now you can reach out to those younger people and be like, Hey, I've been here. I've been doing this. This is sort of like, I'm sure it's not going to be like a a checklist that you can just hand off and be like, do this, this, and this, and this, and you'll be successful. But it's, it's giving them at least a better structure and what they can look for um, to achieve success. Hopefully if, if, this type of thing is um, something that you've been doing or going to be doing for a while. Um,
1: yeah. 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 Actually, I got some, a, a ton of advice from Andy Dinn, the CEO, co-founder of TSM. And I see him fairly regularly still. And that's some of the advice that he gave me was, you know, I'm telling him about some of the things I'm working on, or the problems I'm having. And yes, he'll give me like, he'll tell me, here's what I think that you should do you know, for this specific issue. But a lot of it is like, you just need to prioritize the most important thing. And yes, you want to do 10 different things and it would be really great if you could do them all right now, but you can't. So you need to really figure out like what is the most important one and go that way.
0: That's awesome. That's good advice from from Andy. Um, in our pre-show, you actually mentioned uh, looking into sponsorships and merchandising for Next Step. So what are some yeah. of the goals for that in the aspect of your job?
1: Yeah. Um, I think everyone loves a free t-shirt. <laughs> and we've seen a lot of success with hundred thieves. Yep. Uh, phase clan and the merchandising businesses they're building. I don't expect to be on that level at any point in my company's, uh, future, but there's definitely part of that, that I think, um, definitely kids are going to like, you know, they want to represent their teams. Um, they want custom stuff. So making sure we're feeding into that as much as possible on the sponsorship side. Um, I'm, I'm excited to like, we're taking the perspective of what, where are the real value adds for a brand or where like, like a Lenovo Legion in the gaming PCs. There's a clear use case for that. Um, Peripherals, Wi-Fi technology. Those are the two other categories. That's probably uh, uh, next up for me. There's a nice little pun after that. It's like, okay, well, what works for parents and kids, CPG companies, Not like um, necessarily an energy drink, because I don't think they want to be advertising to Mm 13-year-olds, but um, health food, snacks, any kind of like uh, snack, beverages, I think are going to be hot. Um,
2: I'm also excited
1: because I want to structure it where you're providing some sort of, of, call it product. You're providing some cash, but you're also going to be, as a brand, you'd be um, supporting the scholarship program as well. I, th- I think that's going to be a really interesting proposition. What I learned from definitely the last, you know, kind of year at TSM is people, like brands, are really asking for that social good component. They want to be a part of it, and if if they don't want to be a part of it, they just want to know that you, as the property, are doing something. Mm-hmm. So that's why I was motivated to create the scholarship program at the beginning. But also I realized like this can be an asset to brands like they want to give back. And this is an easy way to support the community. In fact, I also think it's one of the better ways that new brands can get involved in gaming is by doing something where they're actually supporting the community instead of just, let me put my, like, again, let me put my advertisement in front of your eyes. So this gives them some more credibility. I think users are going to be more accepting to that instead of just saying, oh, this brand wants to sell me this stuff.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think, I think if you can sort of build that personal relationship with even a small amount of people through a sponsorship or through, sorry, through a scholarship or through something like that, um, like through the Lenovo partnership, uh, it's really easy to get that word of mouth out there. Um, taking a step back, actually talking about merchandising, um, I wanted to ping your brain on this because I think you, you have a unique perspective on this, Uh, um, why do you think merchandising has become like such a large part of esports brands in the past few years? Like, And why wasn't this something beforehand?
1: Hmm. Well, first, I don't know if it's as big as most people think. Mm-hmm. I think 100 Thieves and Faze and what they're doing probably blows it out of proportion for majority of organizations. Th- that's a core part of their business, and they're doing it really well, no question. I don't think that's going to be the same for all esports orgs, all esports teams. Um, I do think it's an underdeveloped area though. Mm -hmm. Most teams don't have like really great merchandise. And that's not to say that you need to have hundred thieves or phase level of style and design, but there's a lot more that can be done. Frankly, I, I think what I am more interested in seeing is developing the quality of the products the the design is going to change all the time but the quality of the goods i think have a lot of room to grow and that is what will unlock a lot more revenue for the organizations because right now i'm not sure they see like i'm not sure they see it as a huge revenue driver so they don't want to invest a ton into it but if you can create quality products people will will realize that and they'll come back and buy more um some teams are are starting to do it. I've seen a couple like LCS teams specifically more recently. I got some jersey samples and like it looks a lot better. Um but still it's not like you know if you're buying, you know, a $150 NBA jersey online, it's going to be a really high quality jersey. The stitching is going to be sharp, the colors are going to pop. Right now we're still working with a lot of like um, you know, printed on uh, those all-over jerseys. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure you've seen them at a lot of the conventions and people wearing them. It's just, it's not the best. And like, but they're charging high prices for them. So fans are willing to pay the high prices, clearly. Let's give them something that's actually of quality.
0: Do you think that we're seeing sort of like, like you would say this lack of quality from some of these teams because of inexperience? Or do you think it's a conscious choice? Or what? Do you, what do you think is driving that decision-making?
1: It's probably both. It's probably an experience not knowing what would happen if they worked with higher quality materials and products. Um, I would imagine that you also, it's very easy to look at a, you know, a and l and see that, okay, if we spend $10 more a jersey, well, that's cutting our margins significantly. Mm-hmm. Um. And it's almost like, let's just check the box. We have to have merchandise available and not really think about it. I would say it's a combination of those two.
2: Yeah.
0: I think I think what you said is, is 100% true. I think we're going to see a lot more focus on providing a better quality product towards the end user. And I think, like you said, yep. that will go a long way in terms of both word of mouth advertising, where somebody will say like, hey, I got this jersey from blank the other day. I really like it. It's super comfortable. It looks awesome. Blah, blah, blah. They'll wear yeah. it more places. They'll talk yeah. about it more. It's just going to be... It's a win-win, I think. Um. So I think you're 100% yeah. right on that. I,
1: so I think there's also a problem, though, in that I don't know enough about Call of Duty and Overwatch League. I think they're doing it more in, in this way. But in LCS, all the teams make their own stuff now. They mm-hmm. had that partnership with We Are Nations for a year or two. But that was just for on court or on field, um, you know, jerseys. Yeah. If you look at traditional sports leagues, there's a standard set of apparel that all teams have. Yes, they have the jersey, but then they have t-shirts and shorts and hats and they just switch. It's all the same quality and materials. You just switch the colors and logos depending on what team is selling it. So even if you're a fan of the Lakers, you know, one of the, one of the better teams in the league, or if you're a fan of one of the smaller teams, you're going to get the same quality gear for the same price. So you don't have to be a really, uh, an organization that's just raised a ton of money. And so you can, you know, eat a loss or operate at a lower margin and provide better quality gear. It's unfortunate that that's the situation that we're in right now, but that may also come through, you know, like the league doing a deal with some, Apparel manufacturer and standardizing that across the board.
0: That's that's some great insight into that. I don't think I ever could have uh, thought about something like that without sort of somebody bringing it up to me because that's a really good point. It's like where where do teams put their investment when they're making merchandise? Are they looking for the profit? Are they looking for the advertisement? Are they looking for sort of building this relationship with their their user base? Um, so I definitely think. That like what you said, standardizing yeah. these these merchandise is going to be hopefully a focus of of these teams coming up. And like you said, I'm not really familiar with with the other scenes, so that could be doing it. Um, but I don't know. <laughs> maybe we'll find that out in the future. I think
1: they did Overwatch or like I, I maybe just call it Activision Esports. Activision Blizzard Esports. They have a lot of traditional sports executives, mm-hmm. um, like at all levels. I mean, like the CMO. Daniel Cherry came from the Devils, Brandon Snow came from the NBA, um, big hitters in those worlds. They're designing everything just like traditional sports leagues, which worked pretty well. Definitely on the sponsorship side worked well. But again, if you're a fan of um, you know the Florida Mutineers or any other team, like you're getting the same quality gear, whether your team wins games or not, or your team has raised a bunch of money or not. Yeah, and and that's something that that's part of the sustainability of of a league and the teams within the league as well. Hundred thieves should always be allowed to do their own merchandise collections, right? They're not going to be in favor of saying you take all the like the league should handle all merchandising efforts. Like, no way. <laughs> Frankly, they do a better job than most people ever will anyway. But there should be a standard set of gear that of a standard quality that everyone should have access to for the same price.
0: Yeah and it should be sort of like to use 100 Thieves as an example their products could be sort of like a a luxury brand in terms of on top of this standard instead of just in replacement of this standard mm-hmm. um that's yeah that's a lot the,
1: of interesting. the NFL actually just did something this year i think other team other leagues have allowed their teams to do it but um li- licensing their branding and logos to local um companies to do apparel collections so the rams los angeles rams just did one with born and raised which is like a, a clothing company here in, here in la that a lot of people know and they did some really unique cool stuff i think before that like you couldn't really buy anything that wasn't just like rams kind of logo print and colors um mm-hmm. and it was received with tremendous response i mean like people i see it all over the place people love it um so you're starting to see more and more of that because these teams and the leagues realize we got it. Like we're not the best at merchandising and we don't have the most unique vision. There's people out there who are doing really cool stuff and we can collaborate with them um, and achieve some really awesome success.
0: Yeah, definitely. Before we hop into sort of like the free form conversation, did you have anything else you wanted to add to uh, the next up esports topic?
1: No, I think this was, this was this was good I'm glad I got to talk about all those things. I think yeah, was- about them all the time now I'm finally able to uh kind of project them
0: bringing it out onto uh onto a platform that's awesome i love yeah. I love talking about this sort of thing with people and I really appreciate you coming on and sharing everything all, all your experience with that um so I want to thank you before we even move on to the next topic for yeah for of course being so open and being such a great speaker um but yeah let's talk about let's talk about some of the things that are happening in in gaming and in in the uh, internet world right now uh, i don't know how much you know about this but this has sort of been brewing for the past couple of weeks but the the twitch uh news where they've been uh, apparently saving uh deleted clips and vods from from thousands of streamers i don't know how far it extends but including even banned streamers streamers have been deplatformed by twitch um, and it's all publicly accessible you can all uh anyone could go out and find these these things it doesn't take heavy technical expertise it doesn't take like a hacking mm. uh, montage you can just get to it like right now uh, and the, the the cherry on the top of this weird situation is um, the DMCA claims that have been coming through are actually still finding content in these deleted files in these deleted clips and VODs and streamers are getting hit for content that they think has been scrubbed from the internet um, and people are not happy about it understandably <laughs> So yeah, what's your perspective on this?
1: It's funny you bring it up because Twitch sent out an email just this morning Mm -hmm. regarding DMCA claims. And, um, excuse me, if you're a, if you're a a channel owner or uh, a content creator, like how to go about it. Basically they apologized and said, we didn't provide enough, um, enough tools within the platform to help you do this. And we didn't communicate well. I guess both are true. Um, the third, well, before we get to the third thing. So uh, my understanding is that it's actually cheaper and easier to create new memory than actually erase memory. So I guess I understand why Twitch would be doing that, why they're just saving everything. I I guess where I'm confused is why they haven't yet. I, I imagine they're go- there's smart people over there. I'm sure they're going through this. Why they're not just... The real solution to the problem is come up with a partnership with the with the music rights holders. People want the music on their stream. It enhances the stream. It's more fun. So let's get a deal done where they're licensing it. Either the individuals are or Twitch as a platform. Spotify is obviously interested. They have a deal with, with League of Legends or the LCS, right? Um, I know for a fact that Folks at Pandora are interested. I think what's the music company in Europe? Deezer. That's like a really big one in Europe. There's people out there who are interested, and they realize that there's opportunity here. They don't want to just say no one listen to our music. They just want to get paid for it. Yeah. So let's figure out a way for them to get paid. Like that's what I think they left out purposely or not. I don't. I don't personally know. <laughs> uh, I do think it's kind of frustrating if you're a content creator that you know, if you think it's your content has been deleted, that you're still getting pinged for these, these, um, copyright claims on it. Um, because you have no control over that. Right. One of the things that Twitch did say in the email was that they're not issuing any strikes any longer for, I forgot. Oh, for it was for music that came from games. Like if they weren't, if the streamer wasn't like purposely playing it, yeah. It was just in the background of a game that they were running, that they weren't going to issue strikes. I believe that's what they said. Um, I would hope so. <laughs> it's just, a, yeah. I, well, look, I, I think that the music rights holders have, like, what they're doing is right. I mean, it is, is legal. Legal. You know? Yeah, like, you, you shouldn't. It is their music. They can tell you how you can or can't use the music. You know, it's like, um, it's like if you buy pay-per-view for a UFC fight, I buy it for my house. It's a residential license, right? There's a different kind of license if you're a bar or you're some kind of venue that's going to be broadcasting it to many more people than it's, than is considered at a house. Right. And so you're you're paying more money for that. That mean, um, you're not allowed to rebroadcast NFL games. Everyone gets that. Why I don't understand why it's so much different in music. Maybe I think you and Gene were talking about this, yeah. maybe just because people have been doing it for a while, and so no one's like stepped up and said anything. But if you look at it from the lens of the music content is the same as any other type of, of content, whether it's a pay-per-view or something streamed on you know on cable, it shouldn't be like that hard to figure out.
0: Yeah, I was about to bring up that we actually talked about this a bit on the last episode, um, and I yeah. think it's interesting because from a user perspective, from a streamer's perspective, I definitely agree with some of the people out there, like oh, we shouldn't be held as responsible for this content that we've deleted because it's not there anymore. But also looking at back yeah. at it from like from a just a, a outsider's perspective just because you deleted that content doesn't mean it didn't happen doesn't mean you weren't uh, violating those rights uh by replaying copyrighted music um so i don't know how much i can and i of course i'm just as guilty of it as anyone else i've played copyrighted music on my stream before in the past but never to the same mm-hmm. scale as some of these higher up uh uh content creators who are now figuring out that this is, was not a, a smart move um so i don't know i think like what you said is very accurate i think we'll see hopefully more of a supportive partnership with with these music companies in the future where they'll take a stance and they'll be like hey we understand that you want to play music but there's something has to happen between either us and twitch or maybe us and you directly i don't know um how much how likely that is i know there are already third party solutions like monster cat where you can purchase a a license mm-hmm. to play their music on your content and they won't strike you. I don't know the technical details of it, but I know that it exists. And I know that it's very reasonable. Um, so I think we'll hopefully see something like that. Hopefully it's more all-encompassing than sort of like what we've seen with, uh, it's not a great example, not a great analogy, but what we've seen with streaming services, like uh, video streaming services like Netflix and Hulu, where we'll see everyone making their own agreement. Um, and then it's sort of fracturing hopefully it'll be more of like a all-encompassing one or two people we have to yeah. deal with and then it's not a huge thing where you have to have eight different licenses to play the songs you want to play if this even happens
1: well there's only a couple big i i, I can't imagine why it wouldn't you have you have youtube facebook mm-hmm. twitch I don't know in the U S if there's anyone else like in those, in that category tier one streaming company. So you come up with agreements with those three. I'm sure there are going to be more streaming services in the future. And you know, when they are smaller, yeah. When they are smaller streaming service they don't really have the negotiating power. So the rights holders come up with some kind of standard template that they just impose on those new ones problem is like people want this they want the, the streamers want the music the fans want the music the audience does so there has to be a solution it's not going to just be no you can't have it it's going to be like okay let's figure out how to distribute the money in a way where everyone is okay with it
2: yeah
0: and this is sort of secondhand information uh what i'm about to say now so take it with a grain of salt but i've seen uh statements from facebook where they've already sort of done they've said that they've made partnerships with music rights holders where Uh, You'll be able to play music on stream without um, Mm. infringement uh, risk of a a strike or a DMCA claim. But they didn't say what companies those were, what the usage policies would be, what the penalties for violating these usage policies were. It was very, uh, very vague, and it definitely seemed like it was an early stage. They just wanted to get ahead of the problem where they're like, hey, Twitch Twitch is having this problem right now. But you know who's not having this problem? Facebook. Come on over here. (laughs) um
1: again i'm sure there's smarter people than me who are mm -hmm. thinking about this issue who work for twitch youtube facebook and are already in those conversations i'm sure they just can't announce where they are or maybe they're so far away that you know that it doesn't even make sense to but they realize it was an issue long before we conversation you and i
0: yeah definitely and hopefully we'll see the fruits of those conversations within the near future while it's still a fresh topic for for people because It definitely seems to be something that a lot of people are up in arms up about right now. Um, Yeah, yep, agreed. This is something that I'd love to hear your perspective on, because I thought it was really interesting. Uh, I didn't think something like this could happen without uh, somebody catching it earlier on. So apparently, General Sniper, who is a uh, 13 or 14-year-old professional streamer, he's already a very famous streamer who streams League of Legends, um, he was issued a Mm -hmm. contract by Cloud9, and it was publicly announced uh, on all platforms twitter facebook everything um and then within hours it was revoked uh by by i think the reasoning was riot doesn't allow people under the age of 15 to be part of um, an esports team even as a streamer Uh, that was the explanation we got as the general public and my real big question there is like how did nobody catch this before it went out to the public like why why is everyone finding out and then just kidding! No more sponsorship for you. I feel really bad for the for for General Sniper for the guy.
1: Yeah, I wasn't exactly sure if the reason was they couldn't sign him and like pay him or represent the organization because he wasn't a pro player. He mm-hmm. was just a content creator, right?
0: Yeah, just a. That point. was
1: my understanding. So, um, yeah, I think Riot has got to be probably just like most publishers, pretty careful about the age of the of the players participating in their programs uh in their games probably you know did that for a similar reason the you know Fortnite world cup they had what was it the top 200 people was that what it was who 100 solo 100 duos who participated in the world cup a bunch of them were under 16 and couldn't play yeah they didn't have the rule that we, they couldn't sign them. So TSM actually scooped up a few of them because um, they were just really well, like really solid players, but they couldn't be technically pros for an epic event. I imagine it's like a similar reason. Um, seems to me like maybe C9 just wasn't aware that he, they couldn't even sign content creators. Yeah. And so. It got out. Someone from Riot, I'm sure, saw the tweet and then <laughs> called him up and said, like, hey, guys, can't be doing this.
0: That must have been a really unfun conversation for both sides. Um, I'm sure nobody was happy about that. But... It's
1: tough for the kid because he has nothing to do with it. Like yeah. He may, he probably doesn't know the rules. Right? No, no, absolutely. I mean, he didn't do anything yeah. wrong. I'm like, sure, it was just I'm a sure misunderstanding. He, yeah, He
0: had to – I don't know what his relationship is with his parents, um, but I'm sure he had to be like convinced his parents where he's like, hey, this is a great thing for me. I'm really excited for it. This could be a big step in my professional career and then all of a sudden have it the rug pulled out from yeah. you. And I know I know um Jack, the the owner of Cloud Nine has even said something like, uh, we'll be ready, we'll be waiting for you when you turn fifteen or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, so it's not exactly like he's just being left out in the cold, but it's still not not fun for anyone involved.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And look, hopefully I don't I've never never watched a stream. Maybe I'll check it out later, but if he's a good enough streamer for C9 to sign him, mm-hmm. he's probably making a few bucks already. So,
0: yeah, yeah. I think he, he has something like 30,000 followers on Twitter and a few more on, on Twitch. I'm not sure exactly what, but he's definitely successful, um, in his own right. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So what about this? I think you added this actually, the thoughts on franchising and franchise leagues and what the future hold for those.
1: Yeah. Um, I am really curious to as I've you know will continue to follow the pro scene but really curious to see where where the franchising model ends up. I think they've done a really good job in the LCS, kept it small. I expect that they will, you know, expand it in the relatively near future. Um I don't see why they wouldn't the Overwatch and Call of Duty leagues I'm just I, I I don't. To me, it seems like they should have been they should have been a little bit they should have started a little bit smaller like LCS did. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the the buy in price puts a puts a lot of stress on the organizations to pay that kind of money uh, when they're not most are not established brands with ongoing revenue streams already. I have a pretty good sense of, you know, if 80% of revenue is from sponsorships, I have a pretty good sense of what TSM is doing. I would assume we're in the top three in esports. If you're even that much money, if that's your only revenue stream, you're not, and you're in the Call of Duty League, it's going to be tough. And none of the Call of Duty League teams or Overwatch League teams, you know, had that established brand. I guess Call of Duty is changing a little bit now. There's some recent news today with OpTic, right? I think that it's probably changing, but like Overwatch has got to be really tough. It's just not as popular of a game anymore. It, not as popular as uh, the league as LCS is. So mm-hmm. um, I really hope that there's not a, a bunch of investors and sponsors who are like, hey, what did I just sign up for? Why aren't I getting any value? And I hope they don't lose a lot of money. And then there's kind of a negative um, uh, ripple effect throughout the industry.
0: Yeah, buyer's remorse for these partners.
1: Yeah, from all accounts, it sounds like Joanna Ferries, who's running Call of Duty League, and I believe now is taking over Overwatch League, League, has done a phenomenal job. And so I hope that will bring more sustainability. Look, we're still in a point where um, their success impacts everybody else. And it's not as... um, like the industry isn't as fractured as, or or as separate as NBA, NFL, MLB is in the sense that if a team in the, you know, in major league baseball doesn't do well, it doesn't impact the success of a NBA team right now, especially if you're an outside investor, you hear esports, you think it's all the same thing. No one really has the sense of like, oh, games are different. You have different players for each, each game really. So to that extent, uh, I, I really hope they do well because it will impact everybody else.
0: Yeah. Um, what do you think the the motivation behind somebody like Activision is to set that buy-in price so high for um, their franchising opportunities when the obviously the goal of their league is to promote the game? Like, why would you want that barrier of entry being so high? Is it just a revenue thing or is there some other work at play there?
1: I I really don't know the answer to that question because... It's a small portion of the revenue. It's one-time revenue. It's not recurring. Yeah. It's a small portion of that company's overall revenue. Very small. I don't think it really impacts, you know, their earnings statements when they're on quarterly calls. So I'm really not sure why it's that high. I think it should be something. I'm not saying you give it out for free, mm-hmm. but I think it's really expensive. Um, A lot of the people who signed up, a lot of the investors, you know, signed up for that league. I don't know if they were really aware of how the revenue or, you know, how the business model would play out. Or maybe they had different expectations. Here's a good example. I saw um, Guild Esports. You're familiar with the group in, in England. Okay, they went public. It's like backed by David Beckham. They went public on the London Stock Exchange a couple weeks ago. There's a big pushback in the industry because... They hadn't really done anything yet. They had, didn't have any teams. They just signed a, a fairly good Valorant team, though. But I think what stood out when I looked at the deck was like their sponsorship projections were astronomical, like in double digits in year two, double-digit millions in year two. And I'm looking at it like I know the majority of teams in any other league, whether it's Overwatch, Call of Duty, or LCS, aren't making that kind of money. So it's really difficult if you're a team that like people haven't heard of you are not even they're not even in a franchise league to be making that so security that franchising provides um it's got to be tough to be paying those kinds of annual fees to Activision Blizzard just for being in the league yeah i really i'm curious i would love to find out what or like what the think just what the thinking was behind those those numbers and those decisions
0: real quick cuz i wasn't familiar with with guild esports before you brought them up um and you said that they went public, public on a stock exchange. Is that the first instance of an esports organization going public, and you can buying buying shares in them? Because I, no. I don't know if I'm familiar with any other.
1: I believe Astralis did within the last year or two. There's some other like esports companies, not like teams. Astralis, I think, was like the first like team org to do it. Guild did it. Fanatic today just announced that they're doing like a crowdsourcing for a little over a million pounds. So you or I could just go online and I think it was as little as twenty pounds uh and you could get a chunk of them.
0: That's interesting. I wonder Yeah. I wonder how many people are going to take advantage of that or if it's going to be more if it's going to be individuals or if it's going to be more like companies looking and being like, Hey, I want a piece of this. For Fnatic uh...
2: So they just
1: announced a ten million dollar raise, mm-hmm. and I believe, if I'm not incorrect, ten million dollar raise and one point three million dollars in or pounds, sorry, in crowdsourcing that they're going to have available. So they got a lot of the big investors. No, there could be some other investing group that didn't get in that wants to buy it. I'm sure the terms for those shares are not very favorable to an investor mm-hmm. or to like a you know more of a a corporation or venture capitalist coming in. Um, but I don't know. I'm curious. I haven't, I haven't taken a look at the page yet.
0: For somebody who's not familiar with, with that sort of, uh, arrangement, what, what type of, uh, return on investment would like an individual see? Would it just be sort of like a, I want to support my favorite team and this is sort of like how I'm doing that or what what is coming out of this?
1: Good question. Um, I don't know what kind of liquidation rights you have as a, as a, crowdfunding investor mm-hmm. so typically some of the other value um proposition for you know investing in one of these organizations would be that there's some exit at the end right there's some way to exchange your investment into cash like how, how are you going to get that money back you can sell the shares uh on like a secondary market your company can ipo they can raise money again and the new investors want to clean up the cap table and buy shares from old investors or something like that. I have no idea what they've set up for the crowdfunding part of it. Um, I imagine it's a lot of people who are like, I just kind of want to do it. I want to support fanatic and $20 is really not a ton of money. Yeah. So I think you're going to, they're going to see a lot of um a lot, a lot of people trying to get a piece of it.
0: I'd love to see if they like sort of offered, some sort of uh memorabilia like a coin or like a, a plaque or something. For doing like, it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that'd be that'd be a, a good uh stepping off point for a lot of people who just have, like you said, twenty dollars to burn and want to be a part part owner or whatever you want to call it in an organization yeah. like that. That's that's fun. Um do we have anything else to talk about in franchise league? I thought I think we that's talked about it talked a decent amount about it. Um, Yeah, I think
1: that's about it.
0: So this is something that surprised me a lot. I thought it was funny. I don't know how I feel about it. I'd love to pick your brain about this because Tyler one, the streamer, the very, very successful, very famous streamer, uh, Mm -hmm. joined the organization T1 as a content creator streamer, uh, as a partnered partnered person in that league. So apart from the name being very funny as like a, a pun, T1 joins T1, um, what are you what do you think are the ramifications of something like this in terms of setting expectations for future people and even sort of from the the sponsorship side when you see somebody who has sort of a a polarizing fan base and a very um interesting history in terms of where he came from as a streamer like if you were an outside investor, what would you think if you saw somebody like this as like a, a partnered streamer?
1: Um, Well, you want to understand how he's contributing to um, revenue for T1. Mm -hmm. Sponsorships is is one part of it. I would assume he's probably not doing a lot of sponsorships. I don't think he really likes it. Um, I don't think he does a ton on his own already. Not because he can't garner them. Like, he could get a lot. Mm -hmm. He's got a huge following. Yeah, he's polarizing, but there's people who absolutely love him, and he's really entertaining. So plenty of brands are going to look past that. Now, you might not be getting um, you know, a family insurance company right away, but that's okay. Like There's plenty of other money for him to make. Second, though, is how he is going to contribute to T1's Twitch deal, which is, I think, really where the money is. So most of these teams, you have a deal with Twitch, is contingent on how many streamed hours you have, I think it's per month he brings a huge amount of content. So when they go and they, you know, when T1 goes to Twitch and tries to package all of their hours to get a better rate for the advertising money that's spent adding him in there, probably if he didn't already have a really good rate already, probably gets him a better rate. Frankly, I think that is maybe the only reason why he would want to join an org is to get him a better rate because he's already a powerhouse on his own. Mm -hmm. So if if that's why he gets more money t1 gets more money it's a win-win for both of them
0: you just you just shed a lot of light on something that i wasn't even thinking about in terms of why a company would sign sign a content creator like this in terms of like what their return is um so is this something that happens a lot in terms of, of sponsoring streamers where where they're looking into um deals directly with twitch
1: uh so i mean think about ninja had the deal with mixer and now twitch dr disrespect is at youtube those folks are are, they they all have their own deals with the platforms i think i don't know the details of it i assume most of those are just flat fees Mm -hmm. it's much it's much less risky if you're the streamer to do the flat fee deal because then you're not you can stream whenever you want you have a lot more freedom not everyone can get those twitch isn't giving them just handing them out um Part of the reason, I mean, so several many years ago when Twitch was just getting started, right? Like they did these deals with teams because teams could aggregate all of the streamers for them and come and say, "I am bringing you a whole portfolio, not just one player. I'm bringing you 20 players, or all of this. You know, we have an LCS team, I'm bringing you the whole team, and this is how many hours we're going to stream, and so you should pay us for those hours, right? Um, if you can bundle up everybody, it's much more interesting. To Twitch because you're getting a lot more hours, which then they can monetize through advertising content. Mm-hmm. In exchange, I do believe they give them a better proportion of the subscription revenue. I think typically, if you're an individual partner, it's a 50 50 split. But if you're a big time streamer or you're with a team, I think you can negotiate for a better split.
0: Yeah, I've heard that as well. So
1: that's why, yeah. So if you're someone like Tyler, again, I think he's probably getting more than 50 50 anyway. But if he has more power than... And T1 has more power to negotiate with Twitch if he's a part of their network.
0: Okay, that's really interesting. Um,
1: um, so who else just did it today? Um, Nick A30. Just signed with Luminosity. Really? Uh-huh. Huh. That was just, I mean, a couple hours ago. He, I would imagine it's for the same reasons.
0: He transitioned from YouTube to Twitch, right? Or am I am I confusing him with somebody else?
1: Um, yes, he did. He was on YouTube... When did he make that switch? Maybe about sometime within the last year, I want to say. Yeah, I, he was on was. YouTube though. Mm-hmm. He yeah, was,
0: he was very big. He was one of their larger content creators, especially for. Fortnite. He was. So that's that's actually a big yep. loss for YouTube. Um, it's funny that you mentioned the team wide contract with Twitch thing because that sort of triggers a memory from a very 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 long time ago in the League of Legends scene. Um, I forget which team it was. It might have been SKT. Uh, they had an exclusive contract with. Uh, a Chinese streaming service, I think a Zubu or something similar uh, like that, Mm -hmm. where they weren't allowed to stream on Twitch. Uh, They were only allowed to stream on this one platform. And when they made that switch, when they were allowed to, they were released from that contract. uh, It was a major event in in Twitch and in the league uh, community because everyone was excited. Like, Oh, I can finally watch uh, whoever it was, whoever the pro is on Twitch. Um, So that's a good example. I completely forgot about that when we were talking about this. Um, I don't know if I'd feel really bad if I got that wrong, but I'm pretty sure it was, it was a Chinese team or a Korean team. And I'm pretty sure it was a Zubu. So hopefully I got that. Yeah. right. N-
1: n- not surprising. I mean, if you're the platform, you want exclusive rights to the content. Mm-hmm. Um, it, look, it's no different than I'll use another sports example. It's no different than ESPN paying for the rights to Monday night football. You know, They're the only ones that can broadcast one of the most watched games of the week. It's the same exact thing that YouTube and Twitch and Facebook uh, to some extent are now fighting over. We want the big streamers. And look, that was the whole proposition with, with Mixer too. We're going to take the two biggest streamers and people are going to want to come to Mixer now to watch those two streamers. And then they'll discover other people. Didn't really work out (laughs) that way. Um, But that was the idea, right? And, those those big platform deals are a huge part of revenue now for streamers. I mean, before it before Ninja and Mixer, I don't know if those deals existed. They definitely didn't exist as publicly as they are now. Now it's a yeah. huge deal. And I can say from my time at um at TSM that streamers are asking for these deals now too. Cause even if you're not as big as uh, as Ninja is, you see that and you're like, oh, this guy's getting paid twenty six million dollars for three years. Well, I could get I could get something, right? I, I like, got I have a percentage of those th-
0: viewers. So I should get a percentage of that uh that cut.
1: Correct, correct. It's not on that level yet, but players or influencers are are thinking about it for sure.
0: That almost seems like sort of like a um, almost like a union approach where more people are are empowered by this information being out there, where they're now aware that the like you said, they're aware that these deals are happening, so they they want that in terms of uh, being an option for them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That's really enlightening.
1: I think all of these players talk. Well, I heard from somebody in the industry that the top 50 to 100 streamers all are part of this Discord channel mm-hmm. server, and they send the terms of the deals to each other. And so if you know that, like, somebody else has a deal with a particular brand, You'll say, hey, I just got offered this deal. Here's what the campaign is. Here's what I gotta do. Here's how much I'm gonna get it paid. How does it compare with yours? And so will be like, oh, I got like I got more money than you have to do less. So players will come back and be like, uh, yeah, this guy is not doing as much and he's getting paid more. I want that deal. We're like, well, that deal's not really on the table for you right now. But they're all sharing information. I think it's incredibly smart. So it's not like a union, but being able like the shared information, I think is 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 more information is always better.
0: Yeah. It, it's sort of shifting that power dynamic that these companies have had, um, Twitch especially. Because Twitch is in the very um, privileged position of being the largest market share. And it has been the largest market share for a long time. And I think we've seen so many people yeah. try to come after that market share. We, Of course, we had Mixer, which we've talked a little bit about. Um, that was a powerhouse of a company. Microsoft's backed that for billions of dollars. Billions yeah. of dollars. <laughs> And it, it it the plug got pulled. It was around for a while, a few years at least, but it died. And that's really, really unfortunate for um, anyone who wants to be a competitor of, of Twitch because when Mixer dies, pretty much that entire, even if it was a small amount of that market share, a lot of that probably went back to Twitch, even though I know they focused on trying to transition people over to Facebook and transition people over to mm-hmm. whatever other company. Um, and it's really a shame because I think Twitch does do a good job in a lot of things, but I think they do deserve good competition. And I think the more companies that are able to give them that good competition, the better. Um, And it's, it's discouraging that companies as big as YouTube and as big as Facebook aren't able to be as much of competition as, as you would expect um, in that field. That's, that's something that I, it blows my mind every single day. I think about it. How is YouTube not, so much more of a powerhouse in terms of streaming when, when they have the infrastructure, they have the user base, they're already hosting all of these videos for these people. Every single popular mm-hmm. streamer has a YouTube channel and they're all directing people over to that. Why isn't that cross promotion, like more utilized in terms of like, Hey, watch me on YouTube gaming or whatever it's called these days. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's, I that's... think
1: it'll grow. I think we're starting to see it grow. I
0: hope so. They have a
1: they have a small look they don't have they're not the default platform like Twitch is. Mm-hmm. They do have some big names. Um I think that their approach like the the names that they do have are showing growth too. Dr Disrespect aside, like
2: mm-hmm.
1: he's already huge. But if you look at like um Valkyrie, who's a 100 Thieves content creator. She wasn't like a major major streamer on Twitch. I see often she's breaking 30,000, 40,000 concurrence. Mm-hmm. So she's found a really great community or the community has moved over there and she's continued to grow. I'm sure with the support of the YouTube team, um, I'm sure the discoverability on YouTube is really sharp because they're really great at you know uh, distributing content when you watch just their, their VOD content mm-hmm. there. Um, so if you're a smaller streamer, and you're saying, well, and you're thinking to yourself, should I just get lost in the mix that is Twitch or should I move over to a platform like YouTube where I can be, you know, maybe I'm the same size or a little bit smaller, but the pond is smaller for now. Yeah. And so you can really start to shine just by seeing people like Valkyrie do that. I think that's going to be um, part of the approach. They, I think they can also, I think because of what um, what YouTube, the infrastructure they already have, they can outlast uh mixer
0: yeah I think I think you're right i think I think not that my perspective means much in terms of this, uh but I think the mark of real success for a platform like YouTube streaming would be if they have sort of like a homegrown talent come up where somebody gains yeah. fame on YouTube streaming and becomes this sensation in the content creation community um. Because as of right now, it does seem like a lot of their high content creators, even if they have grown a lot on YouTube, it seems like most of them are coming over from another platform, which I think is fine. I mean, that's how you grow any platform. That's the only way you're going to be able to get market share against something like Twitch. But it's definitely not encouraging in terms of like, if you can share that success story it will encourage a lot more people to be like, maybe I will start out on YouTube instead of Twitch. Or maybe I'll start out on all platforms and choose which one is more successful for me. Because Twitch does have exclusivity uh, agreements for their affiliates, but you don't have to be an affiliate to stream on Twitch. You can stream on Twitch and other platforms concurrently. Um, That's something that I... like. Again, my advice doesn't mean a lot in this uh, circumstance, but I definitely encourage people to... Try streaming on multiple platforms concurrently before they make a decision to become exclusive to one. Yeah, because there's see no downside. Stick. Yeah, see so see if you get any growth. Yeah, and then it's like throwing three hooks onto a fishing rod. Um, you might not catch anything at the end of the day, but at least you have two additional chances at it. Um, yeah,
1: w- one thing I was talking to a friend who's a more social media content creator. Mm-hmm. Um, small YouTube presence, no live streaming. So she started on Instagram and developed a big following, kind of like fitness, yoga, let's call it like lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Maybe sometime late last year, probably about a year ago, she started on TikTok and has blown up on TikTok. Yeah. And one of the things she said was the TikTok team is so helpful. Like she has people that she can call or reach out to, and they are responsive and will help her, whether it's creating the content, um telling her about new trends that are happening it's almost like a customer service person that works directly with her and so she's not even in the gaming sector i know from experience the gaming team at tiktok is also awesome and they do the same kind of stuff um tsm built an insanely quick insanely fast uh presence on tiktok and actually just won an award for their tiktok um Because of how uh, attentive the TikTok team is, so if I, I don't think that's any different if you're a live streaming platform either. Like if you're a YouTuber or Facebook, you can provide those resources and be super hands on. If we're talking about like the DMCA issue, if you get ahead of that and you have people walking you through, this is the kind of content like they're they're going to check the music, they're going to check the content for you. You're going to take those things off the plates of the actual content creator. They're going to be more willing to continue on that on that platform because it's less work for them yeah and if you're just getting started you don't know anything about dmca or copyright law those are those are important things for up-and-coming streamers right now to consider
0: and i think i think that youtube and twitch actually have somebody who should be doing this right they have partnership managers who are in this position it like this should be what they're doing but again my perspective i don't have firsthand experience but from what i've heard it's not It's not happening. These partnership managers or whatever the equivalent role at YouTube is, um, they're either hard to get a hold of, they're not providing the support they need, they're not really doing like what you said these, these TikTok managers are doing where they're not working with the streamers. They're more of just being like a point of contact, which is almost next to useless in some of these situations. Um, so I think maybe Twitch yeah. and, and YouTube and Facebook have a lot to... I don't know. Facebook may be doing it well because I know they have, they have um, a few content creators who do speak very highly of the platform over there um but youtube and twitch especially yeah. they should probably work on making that relationship with not the biggest streamers be a little bit more friendly um and more supportive
1: yeah i don't know if they are or not i don't have any experience but i just when i talked to my friend and she was telling me about how great tiktok is i'm like that seems like a really i won't call it easy but like uh, Pretty intuitive thing to do if you're these platforms and you're trying to um, recruit or retain talent.
0: Yeah, definitely. It's it seems like a no brainer now. Um, maybe it wasn't as no brainer five years ago when these positions were first being created. Yeah. Um, but hopefully, yeah. hopefully, it, uh, the one good thing cap for about capitalism for a market like this is that it adapts very very quickly. And hopefully, people will see that and and be like, hey, this is something that we need to incorporate into our model. Uh, and I'm sure it wouldn't be breaking the bottom line for these companies uh, to really try and take a more hands-on approach to, to partnership support. Yeah. Um, did you want to talk about anything else? Cause I know we've, we've been going for a long time. I don't want to keep you yeah, longer, we... than, longer than, you, than you you can stay.
1: No, this has been good. I think um had a lot of great topics. I appreciate you having me on. Definitely. Um. Yeah. I'm excited to do this.
0: All right then. Well, Thanks so much again for coming on. Uh if you haven't been listening to the entire show for some reason, uh check out Luke at Next Up Esports. It's at Next Up Esports uh on Twitter. I'm sure there's gonna be a lot of good news coming out of them recently. And follow him directly on Twitter as well. Um this this ad is interesting. It's on stream right now. It's at Zook Lelon or Lelon. That's right. How to pr- you pronounce it. Um uh, if you're watching, it's a lot easier to type it in than having me spell it out, so Find him there. Um, I've been following him for a couple of days and I've been enjoying what I've been seeing. So uh, take, take check out. Definitely look forward to Next Step Esports because I think we're going to be hearing a lot about this sort of thing in the future. Um, if you're interested in this kind of thing, reach out. If you're a parent of a younger younger gamer and you want to get invested, uh, maybe take a look at that. Uh, when does your next season start in terms of when you're onboarding pa- parents? And, and
1: uh, Yes. Yeah, great. I thank you for that plug. Um, next season, we'll be running what's the date uh middle january it starts i haven't uh formally announced it yet it will come out soon uh we'll have an announcement on the game around that time as well um but yeah if you have any 13 14 15 year olds who love gaming or want to get into gaming in a competitive way happy to talk to them uh yeah like like Ben said you can find me on twitter uh linkedin um or you can just shoot me an email luke at nextupesports.com and it's next without the E N-X-T-U-P esports
0: Awesome and if you like Dev Dive uh, you can catch us live hopefully every Wednesday we'll have a show I've been really trying to get that out there so every Wednesday at around after 5pm the schedule wasn't set in stone Um, check us out at twitch.tv slash Nighthawk20,000 that's two with five zeros and if you can't watch live you can always check us out at youtube.com slash Nighthawk20,000 Twenty thousand. Uh, I'll be uploading every VOD to this uh, to YouTube pretty much an hour after the show, so you don't have to miss out on that. And of course, if you can't watch live and you can't watch on YouTube, you can always listen on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, and more. It's Dev Dive on all platforms. Uh, pretty much should be the first thing that comes up when you search it. So give us a follow, give us a rating if you want. It helps the show out, helps us with discoverability. And as always, if you want to share with friends and family, uh, it helps a lot in that instance too. And Again, thank you so much for coming out to the live stream, coming out to the the YouTube channel, or just listening on all platforms because we really do appreciate you. Um, And I hope you guys enjoyed the episode and keep coming back in future.